Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. Well, Lucas. Oops. Well, Travis. I'm not Lucas. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis, it's time. It's time we talked about the book. Not not the book, the book with the capital T book, but the book. The, the book that's been receiving a ton of hate on Twitter lately, legitimately. Yes, yes. Um, now, if you guys haven't already understood this, we are most definitely, most definitely misogynists. Um, we definitely hate women. Oh, yeah. Uh, we definitely hate women. So this will be right in line. Because we know all of our audience hates women, too. So um, we're just a bunch of women haters on, 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 this, uh, on this podcast. We're the He-Man so, Woman Hater Club. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, masculine Christianity, guys. Um, Zach Garris has an absolute gem here. And <clears throat> we are going to go through his historical approach to feminism and the uh, the links between uh, all of the various uh, social movements that have cropped up in the last oh, 130 years now. Uh, That's 140 years. Than that. Let's see. Um, Sienna Cafals was in. We'll have to look that up. Because I don't know offhand. Well, the first wave feminists, they, they essentially started uh, in, uh, let's see, the temperance movement started in 1852. So that was before the war, war or excuse me, the, the Women's State Temperance Society was from uh, 1852 to 1853. So this was before the war between the states. This is when feminists were starting to push off for actually wanting suffrage and voting rights. Um... Now, the Temperance Society them, themselves didn't actually gain any ground until after the turn of the century. But this is a problem older than... I mean, I would push it back further than that, but we can definitely pinpoint it into the uh, the uh, mid-1800s. Um, probably as early as 1830. Right. <clears throat> okay, so we're looking at almost 200 years of communist drivel. Let's just you know, open up on it. Uh, it's communist drivel when it comes to uh, the relationship between men and women. In <clears throat> Dabney's essay on women's rights women, he goes back um, he, he goes back to a lot of the nonsense, a lot of the arguments that uh, the first wave feminists gave for you know universal suffrage for instance but garris being you know still alive uh has kind of continued that um he's kind of continued the critique of that tradition through american society and he follows it all the way up to relatively modern times and I think he gives a good outline on how it's infested not only American culture in general, but also how it's affected the church. 
Now, the whole book really is about um, a total critique. He even mentions in the, you know, the first part of the book that he's drawing some some comparisons between um, the egalit the, the modern egalitarian complementarianists today. Um, you know, he's he's looking at people like Piper and Grudem, for instance, and drawing some parallels between where Piper and Grudem are genuinely helpful uh, versus where they get into the more egalitarian uh, lefty nonsense, let's call it, in modernity. The, the complementarian, so if, if, if no one here knows what the, because it's a big, long, fancy word, uh, which I've I've always struggled to spell. That's why I kind of shunned complementarianism in the past. Uh, it's just too hard to spell. Uh, it, it's essentially saying that uh, men and women are are the same. They're, they're irreplaceable except in two key points where the scripture lays out that is the husband is the leader of the household, not even the head, not even the ruler of the household, but he is just the head, the the um the leader of the household. And that women cannot be pastors or hold the office. And, and with the advent of this complementarianism, they left so much room for stuff to be misconstrued, such as that uh, that they uh, essentially pulled men's role back to where they're only the tie-breaking vote in a uh, in, in the in the in the household government, right? So, mama gets a vote and daddy gets two votes, type thing. Uh, well, we can kind of see in the church how that's really played out, and that's women still lead the household, uh, by, by just how it defaults back to it. Because if men do not have the authority, then therefore, you know. But all of this essentially stems from first and second wave feminism, and how they wanted equality in all stations of life outside of the home. Uh, so so we, we look at the women's suffrage movement, which we've hammered on in the past episodes. But um, essentially the suffrage movement was pushing for women to be equal outside, inside and outside the home. Second wave feminism was legal equality and throughout everything. And, um, well, we, 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 we're just seeing the fruits of this come home right now, where now people don't even believe a hierarchy should exist in any part of the world, um, e even within a place of business, you know, they're, they're pushing it so far to say that the that the laborer is worth the same as the owner who put all the capital into a business, or that um, the, the smallest fringe group of societies has the same amount of, of say in a society as does those that build the society. And uh, this all stems from feminism, 100%. Uh, there's no two, well, really it stems from, you know, Jackmanism, but for for the purpose of this talk, it's coming from feminists. Feminists have been the driving force in this egalitarian nonsense. Right, and, you know, a lot of their beliefs, like you said, they they kind of came from the Jacobin way of thinking. Um, the Jacobins themselves, uh, we we spoke about this with was it was it women's rights women or was it um it was uh yeah uh, but we also touched on it a little bit in civil ethics also uh but i that's think that's the one we, i'm thinking of yeah it was civil ethics um 
Dabney touched on this in Civic Ethics about the difference between the Jacobin and the historic English forms of equality. And the Jacobin form of equality is a total equality, a complete equality, equality in every facet of being, not just in rights. And so what we've seen from the original, you know, women's suffrage movement was a progressively widening scope of what equality means. So the carrion call today for uh, any any battle cry and even on any even on the so-called right today, the so-called conservatives, it's constantly this call for equality, 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 equality. But they mean equality in the Jacobin sense. So, as you were speaking earlier, um, it went from women have the right to vote to women have the right to go get jobs, regardless of their duties to the home, then it stretches out to women have functional or mechanical equality to men. And now that stretches out to the transgenderism of today, where they act as though there are literally no differences between men and women. They're just another individual. And, you know, the, the way that they view humanity is you have the <clears throat> quintessential human being and you have these little slider scales that you can just move back and forth. Um, you know, there's there's height and weight differences, but there's no actual differences in mode of being when it comes to human beings. There is no masculine or feminine. This kind of gets to that Matt Walsh debate with the psycho trannies um, and his commentary was or his question rather was what do you mean by a man what do you mean by a woman and they simply say well it's to who it it's it can only be defined by whomever is claiming manhood or womanhood there's no definition for manhood, manhood or womanhood. They don't believe these things have a definition. They only believe in whatever expression you want to give, and then each individual is perfectly exchangeable with any other individual. Yeah, I mean, when you say that um, anybody can be a woman, and then when you ask, well, define what a woman is, and they can't give you a definition of a woman, right there is is absolutely a flawed argument if I've ever seen a flawed argument. Um, words have meanings. And um, being a woman has an ontological meaning. It means, you know, literally, when you're a woman, what does it mean to be a woman? <clears throat> and and if, if we actually look at this, just take a step back, take off our, 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 you know, our 21st century worldview or whatever, and, and say, is there, a, is there a difference between being a man and a woman in their roles within a house, within society, within, you know, what God has, has enabled them to do? You have to be absolutely retarded. And yeah, I'll say the R word <laughs> if you say that there's no difference. Uh, men can't get pregnant. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm it's hate speech now, but men cannot get pregnant. Doesn't uh, it, we don't care that uh, Apple just released a pregnant man emoji? You I, still I, can't get pregnant, men. I thought that was a after Thanksgiving emoji. It, that could be, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's probably what I'll use it for. Is after Thanksgiving, I'll be sending that emoji just to show that I'm stuffed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but but the but these these blurring of, of masculine and feminine, like the 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 powers that be want androgynous persons roaming the earth you know just just this there's no distinction between any of the sexes because as as i read in a book the other day um satan hates sex but he uses he uses the perversion of sex all the time but he hates it he hates the distinction that god has placed between man and woman he hates it because this distinction, the the how the parts intermesh and how each role fits together, you know, dare I say, you know, st- borrowing from the complementary language, how each sex complements one another is how God, at, in time and space, is accomplishing his will. Um, as, again, we're going to keep referring back to Dabney a lot in this because, that, you, know, as, you know, that's the foundation, you know, we're building on that foundation we did last year. Um, but you know, the, as Dabney says, men and women come together and they create these immortal souls, and that is how the kingdom of God advances within time and space itself. And these are these are written creational truths that are written into the very DNA of who we are. And feminists sought to disrupt that because they hate God. Dun dun dun. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's yeah. it's a it's a rejection of God's created order. It's a rejection of how God has intended us to live our lives. And this rebellion against God really can't be successful. Um, if you go back through history, you look at the Byzantine Empire, you look at the, the Roman Empire, you look at certain Germanic empires. When they got to the height of their sexual degeneracy, this was right before they fell. Um, and this is – this I think is actually good news. Um, you know, some people might uh, see this as bad news, but this is actually good news. The The American empire is probably about to fall. Uh, the last time we dealt with economic and social issues and social strains like we're doing – like we're dealing with today, men were actually still men, and they had a few issues that they had to work out. Uh, but we're well beyond that. We've got an entire class of men who refuse to have anything to do with women. You have an entire class of women who refuse to have anything to do with men. Uh, if you take out um, uh, immigration, if you take out first and second generation immigrants, our birth rate is under one, uh, meaning that the average couple has fewer than one children, um, and that's taking across the spectrum. Uh, there's an entire group of men and women who are getting uh, sterilized very early on in life for no other reason than they don't want children. It's the selfishness, this desire for comfort, 
this desire to evade all form of hardship or trouble during life. This is quintessentially what it looks like to see a collapsing empire. And the people who fight this trend, who go out, get married, have children, the man takes uh, the reins and becomes the, the prophet, king, and priest of his home. These are the people who are going to be able to hold on for more than one generation. Um, this is where the, uh, the whole concept of vampirism gets overlaid with uh, the, the left. I mean, the only way that they can make other sexual deviants is by converting others to deviancy. They have completely sterile relationships, um, and they, they desire sterility. They don't desire the ability to create life. They desire the ability to go through life without creating life and to die without ever leaving to future generations who and what they are. Well, I mean, it, it's literally a culture of death. The left is literally a culture of death. They, they cannot produce anything of value because they are rebelling against the one who actually gives value to anything they actually do. So, so you know, men, men want, you know, as you said earlier, men are wanting to go sterilize themselves. Well, that is literally how Satan hates sex, you know. He's using the the temporal and the pleasurable, seemingly pleasurable, um, outworking of this uh, this unfettered sex life that we have in America today, and then he's bastardizing that by creating it as sterile. We're taking something that is meant to be fruitful and then sterilizing it, thus killing the body and soul of the one that is partaking within that action. So mm -hmm. it's really no surprise that that you know. So uh, one of the concepts that that I kind of think in is uh, if, if there's if there's a counterfeit out there, what is the real? And if there's a real out there, what is the counterfeit? So the real out there is is covenant sex in marriage versus the counterfeit of free love, man. I mean, just do what you want, man. We're not harming anybody except for you're literally killing the next generation. You are literally committing murder against the next generation because you are not adding to your progeny. In fact, you are deducting away from your progeny. Um, and that's, you know, that that's just... What kind, what kind of mindset do you have to be? How much do you have to hate the human race in order to actually do that, right? How much do you have to hate the creator that designed this stuff to, to participate in this godless act of, of literally sterilizing yourself? Well, it's a form of nihilism, and that's really it. It's it's the godlessness brought to its ultimate end, right? And this is why we're we're going back to, um, you know, I, I know we've kind of been a little bit all over the place so far, but this is why we're going back to the whole concept of masculinity as expressed in fatherhood and in being a husband. This is, you know, your our job as men is to direct our homes, to bring forth life, this union of man and woman, to bring forth other life. And the modern world in this 
trapping in the trappings of supposed equality have destroyed in in a very large part the paradigm by which that other life is achieved um and it doesn't just start and stop with you know the the sexual act right it continues afterwards in your building of human beings called parenthood uh your your job as a parent is to construct a fully functioning human being and this is difficult in some ways because there are things that you don't know and either your parents couldn't or didn't teach you and so you have to go beyond what you are and what you know to expand yourself so that you can help create this other human being first off and then second to build what you've created um there's you know it it some assembly required kind of a deal <laughs> uh you you've got to direct you have to guide and you have to nurture the children until they're able to go out and do of their own and then the cycle kind of repeats through them where they have to go out and do the same thing they have to learn they have to uh build other human beings they have to go get a wife they have to go have children they have to expand further and further and further we talked about this a little bit in our positive eschatology and you know we were you know pretty straightforward about uh men being pivotal in that um but you know the 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 focus of this though is the the historical roots of why we are where we are societally and it's not something that we just need to be angry about although there should be some kind of anger but we have to be angry and not sin our anger has to be redirected towards uh building so you know this isn't a none of what we're saying should be taken as a black pill or taken as there's no hope because there absolutely is hope and the hope is turning back towards christ but you have to know where the problems originated from um and you know a lot of this it gets boiled down to you know the commies a lot of times and that's not entirely wrong frankly but it's good to know the history of it because then you understand the strain of thought that comes with these ideas and so things that people have said in the past um you know things that i've said in the past as a libertarian um i start to understand how these concepts are very pervasive in our in our ways of thinking today and we don't really realize how we're actually feeding into the liberalism that's been out there it's why the republican party can now you know advocate for all kinds of degenerate stuff and do it all in the name of you know well we're conservatives we're conserving right we're co we're conserving the garbage that the uh democrats left behind from five years ago literally like right. you know let's see maybe not five years ago but definitely 10 years ago most democrat would would have been appalled at what they're now support what the republicans are now supporting today the quote-unquote conservative party but um the origins of this unironically is yankees um 
Literally. I mean, the the same people that were behind the first wave feminists were also behind uh, the abolitionist movement, were the same ones behind the the, the push behind the feminization of our entire culture, which um, a large part did begin with universal suffrage and then right after universal suffrage went in they they sought to to um emasculate men by uh outlawing alcohol um and then uh started messing with what really it started to mess with the ordinances of the church you know we even baptists went from uh to went from wine to um grape juice grape juice and most Baptists never even looked, gave it a second thought, and, uh, and and that's how we, you know, tell you. Well, and 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 they've, you know, this is something that we'll have to talk about eventually, I think. But the whole issue of alcohol, um, you know, the the whole temperance movement was couched in this idea of not oppressing the quote unquote weaker brother. Uh, but what it does is, it actually fetishizes being the weaker brother. So instead of the onus being on the one who is weak, learning to grow in Christ and overcome his desire to get lost in the bottle, let's say, uh, the onus is now on the person who drinks to not drink so that this person can stay in a perpetual state of weakness and never have to go beyond that weakness that he has. and. You know, Welch, who was who was the creator of the grape juice uh, company, Welch's, his whole deal was putting out grape juice so that people could drink grape juice instead of wine for communion. But a lot of these people, they were associated with the Unitarians, they were associated with the Quakers, they were associated with the early Seven Day Adventists. Um. You know the that that whole that whole group of flat-out heretics, frankly, is where a lot of this comes from. So, you know, I've been talking to you know my pastorate about you know we should be using wine instead of grape juice, and you know many many other people in the uh, in the church are saying the same thing, not just in my local body, but across the country. They're really asking the question, why aren't we using wine? Some of this has been a proper pushback against the, um, dare I say, the boomer mentality of alcohol bad. Um, And and while there's been some pagan elements to that, there's actually – some good that's come out of that, which has been exactly what I'm talking about, where people want to go back to proper elements for communion. Well, if I might interject here for a moment, it really is the, uh, you know, it's it really is a one-for-one version or one-for-one analogy of, you know, what we were talking about earlier where it comes to sex. Alcohol was given as a sacrament for our Presbyterian brothers and for our Baptist brothers, an ordinance that we are to partake of. Alcohol was one of the elements that Christ commissioned in the Lord's Supper. 
and we have so turned this blessing to now we view the blessing as evil. And the same thing can be right. true in a lot of fundamentalist circles when we're viewing sex. Sex is often viewed as something dirty or something that, you know, we, we shouldn't yeah, ever disclose about, like, you know... It, I mean, obviously hide your not, kids, hide your wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not saying that we, we should, you know, be out there, like, flaunting it and talking about it in mixed company or whatever. But it is it is a good thing that God has given to his people so that we... It's a blessing. I mean, that's just no other way to put it. It is a blessing that he has given, and we we now view it as some dirty, disgusting thing. Well, just like you were talking about, um, you know, with sex, uh, grape juice is just sterile wine. There's no, uh, there's no spice. There's no creativity. There's no. Um, uh, virility to grape juice. It's all been removed by you not having any alcohol. And I say removed kind of um, symbolically, I suppose. Um, you know, you, obviously you have to ferment grape juice to get wine, but that was the whole point is uh, wine is a virile grape juice. It has that zest. It has that that impact it literally Whereas, has organisms in it that create the alcohol versus right, right. sterilizing it for grape juice right and so there's this removal of that spice that zest that that livening that gift that's been given for a particular institution or a thing the alcohol for communion and you know, proper productive sex for marriage. And it throws all of the productivity out and just gives the remainder for us to consume as this commodity that it's just about your pleasure. It's not about the productivity that comes from it. It's just pleasure. You know, the second era, because so far we've been talking about uh, the first era, the the early women's livers, the first first wave feminism with Unitarians, the Quakers, and Seven Day Adventists. Well, you had this second wave come through with the sexual revolution that was in the 1960s. With the sexual revolution came free and easy sex that was brought about by contraceptives. And the whole idea was giving women freedom from the consequence of sex, which, you know, in a pro proper marital context, the consequence is something that's desired. You want to have a child. Um, but this equality that they desired was to give women the ability to go out, hold a job on their own without the man expecting her to care for her, her children and without the man performing his proper role as protector and provider and allowing this woman to inhabit proper femininity in that way. It sought to free women of taking care of their children and take them out of that role of true femininity while allowing them to 
enter in the world of men. And they're trying to break down that hierarchy. Um, now, this is why it's so closely related to communism and the Jacobins, because the whole Jacobin and, and Marxist ideal seeks to get rid of hierarchy itself. And so, essentially what was happening from the mid to late 1800s into the early to mid 1900s is this slow erosion of the proper roles for men and women. Whether this was intentional in every facet or whether it was accidental, um, if you read the first wave feminists, if you read the leaders of the second wave feminists, this was their goal. This is their this is their ultimate end was to get rid of the hierarchies. Now, some of the lower ranking guys, some of the people who associated with them, that was not necessarily their goal. They thought in the moment that it would just be this far and then it would end. But it doesn't end there. And the natural logical consequence of what they wanted means that it doesn't end there. And so in the 60s, again, the next expression of this was free easy sex, contraceptives, um, and this taking away of the productivity in marriage. And, and the, the skyrocketing divorce. Um, mm -hmm. the, the 60s was whenever the, there was a very high rate of divorce in America. Uh, of course, we could also argue that there was also a high rate, higher rate of marriage within America at that time compared to previous generations. But these same people still divorced far more frequently than previous generations did also. So... Uh, with contraceptives, so a lot of contraceptives, I, I you know, I'm I'm not a stickler on them like some of our reformed brothers are, but the biggest one, the the most, dare I say, the most damning one, of all of it, was the uh, the uh, Roe v. Wade that happened in the 70s, early 70s, and that that one that one thing led to the slaughter of millions of children in America. And that's a direct cause and you can't you cannot argue this that's a direct cause of feminism. So when whenever we say feminism is evil, we literally mean it is genocidal and evil. Well, it's not just that from the late 50s to the early 80s, I think, there were increasing programs that gave money and resources to single mothers. Originally, it was specifically designed to target the, the black population, to give women the ability to not rely on their husbands in black communities. And then it spread out from there, uh, and you saw that really fully flourish in the late 80s where women started to really, you know, quote-unquote, come into their own, and they could be fully independent of a man while still having children. So it's this it's this dual front where, oh, we don't want you to really have children. Let me give you a whole bunch of different ways to not have children, but also if you end up having children, yeah. And, and at this time, it's, you know, that's when the um, the black community really started to crumble. Uh, but before this time, there was a very high population. It's still not as high as the white population during the same period, but. I would say it's still really good for, for their community. 
uh, that there was a father in the household. The father was providing for the family. And there was a very strong sense of community around there. You can actually still go to some of these older neighborhoods around and see the older patriarchs that are there. Um, you know, these old black gentlemen that are, that, that are still in the same house that they bought in the forties with the same wife. Uh, the kids, now the kids kind of went wayward because, well, you know, the white liberal decided that, oh, we'll just pump money into these neighborhoods and you know, everything would be kosher, right? But now, now the chickens are coming home to roost whenever, literally, like, I, th- I think the last numbers was like 75% of black families do not have a black father in them. And so it's like 75% single motherhood. That's, that's unheard of in, 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 you know, in, in our culture. Well, not in our culture, but in, in the history of, uh, of the Western civilization, that's dang near unheard of. But, but we're really starting to see the effects of fatherlessness in our, in our own country. You know, they're, they're, they're literally bastards running around, and there's nothing stigmatizing about being a bastard in today's society. Um, but and there were some unfortunate stigmas that came along with being a, a bastard and they they had a really hard life and you know in some regards it's not really the the child's fault and it's not. the stigma shouldn't be applied to the child per se but it should be applied to the mother or the father whomever's at fault um some women just refuse to be under subjection to their husband and some men refuse to do their fatherly and husbandly duty take care of their family so the fault should lie with those who refuse to fulfill their responsibilities in the family um and not really lay upon the child uh the child didn't ask for anything uh the child didn't really even ask to be born the child is born and you know you should treat that child as an image bearer who needs Christ and needs to who needs to repent and believe and uh their status as a fatherless child shouldn't be held against them uh but the you know this was this was pervasive in the community colleges that I went to in Mississippi where you know, the uh, a lady got up and said, you know, just because you're a single mother doesn't mean you should feel bad about yourself because you didn't do anything wrong. And it's this automatic blanket statement that you didn't do anything wrong. And you can still be a single mother. You can go on welfare and not feel bad at all. Didn't do anything. That's right, really I mean, I, the mentality that we're we're talking against here, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there should be a um, a stigma. I mean, there should always be a stigma around those that are uh, culturally different, and, and stigma is not always a bad thing, right? But um, th- there are certain things that are entailed between being a bastard and being a son. Bastards are not ba- bastards are are given whatever they want. They're not disciplined properly. Where versus a son. It says in Proverbs, a son is actually disciplined by his father. He's not given everything he wants. Right. So even today, men or boys that have 
a father in the home, they're still raised like bastards if the father does not take time to properly discipline his son. Right. Right. If he just gives them whatever he wants, he is functionally a bastard. And that that should be that should be more stigmatizing than for the father, obviously, than than the the one that just grew up without a father. You know? But this this all comes down into the, the second wave of the feminist movement and how they they essentially sought to replace men within their society. You know, uh, you know, we see gradual progressions between each of the the waves of feminists and it's and it's the same tracking record of elimination of men it is literally the curse from genesis 3 coming back to bite the woman they are seeking to usurp the man and then men are thus sinning in the same sin of adam where they're not taking dominion over what they have been given dominion over so the third wave feminists they, they came along in the 90s and uh, we can thank them for um, for many things, such as um, oh, I know we mentioned divorce within second wave feminism, but third wave feminism really pushed hard for a no fault divorce. I think that was actually late eighties, early nineties. It, it kind of gets muddled together when you uh, try to stick a hard date. They sought to be legally the same as men, so have the same court standings within the courts as men have have laws applied to them. They, they claim that they're equal rights laws when really it's just uber rights laws. You know, they, they, you know, we can see that via d- divorce proceedings. So there was a no-fault divorce, and then in courts, women are overrepresented, overrepresented for, their, for their status. So uh, women are given the pick of the litter on everything. We, we can see from, um, you know, the man... You know, the woman may be at fault for the divorce, but the man's going to pay child support, alimony, and then plus he's going to have to give up his house and all of his cars. Okay. And even though the woman initiated the divorce, which, by the way, I don't have the percentages right here in front of me, but like 70 something odd percent of all divorces are initiated by the woman. Okay. So just keep that in your head for a moment. So women are are getting uber rights within our legal justice system, even though they claim that they only wanted equal rights within the justice standings. So, again. Right, and and it actually expanded. There's something of a fourth wave feminism going on now, where this is where you're seeing all the intersectionality come together. Um, And it's spreading not just, you know, the the supposed conflict between men and women, but it's also expanding into uh, gender, race, uh, ethnicity, all of these things. And it's just a bunch of sliders where they can play uh, oppression Olympics with one another. Um, You know, all these privilege tests that have been passed around try to see where exactly you stand on the privilege scale. Um... It really is a just a fourth wave feminism coming out. This this is a bunch of I mean, let's be honest. It's a bunch of fat, angry, white lesbians who are mad at men. That's where it originates from. And more than that, I mean, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, it's literally blurring the distinctions between what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. Right. Uh, so referring back to the Matt Walsh episode, 
right? Um, I don't want to feel like we're keep repeating ourselves, but you know, just as a reference point, when he asked, what does it mean to be a woman? They could not define what it means to be a woman because within fourth wave feminism, if anyone can be a woman, then no one's a woman anymore, right? right? Well, it's also why you can have men join in on women's sports and, and whoop the women, by the way, because the, the women ain't winning those competitions. Not even close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's really become a you know we kind of joked at the beginning of the podcast about how we hate women and stuff, but no, we we actually love women. We love women that are within their proper stations in life. Women have a role to to play within a productive society, and whenever you start to to introduce this nonsense about men can be women and blur these distinctions, you so cloud the value of women that they're nothing more than than, than, than weaker political, men. yeah, weaker men. But but more than that, they're political propaganda that mm. that the left can pull out, and and then they're they're birthing people, literally. Like we're not even allowed to say that women can women are the only ones that can get pregnant. It is now birthing people, right? We're so right. degrading women by blurring the distinctions because we don't know what a woman is. We don't know what a man is. So we're just going to degradate both of them and both people can be, you know, both humans can be whatever the hell they want to be. So, yeah, this was kind of a, a a quick, this was kind of a quick, like, shotgun history of where the feminist movement came from. Um, and, and the reason why this was important, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, um, you know, when I was libertarian, I repeated a lot of the stuff, the equality nonsense that we we talk about now. And, and it wasn't too long ago that I would have advocated for uh, a bunch of these lefty policies um, because I was still stuck in that, that way of thinking, that paradigm. So the way forward, the way out of this is to realize the history of these ideas, where they came from, and realize why you can't separate the ideas from those traditions. Once you understand that, once you understand where these ideas came from, then you realize that in, in, in some sense, it really is an all or nothing proposition. You can't stop halfway down the tracks. And this is, this is kind of where uh, Wayne Grudem and John Piper have, have kind of gone awry here is, you know, they're attempting this complementarianism. They're trying to, you know, take a half and half approach. You know, well, you know, men and women are equal because they're of equal worth in God's sight. And so, you know, the the whole servant leader thing for men, which is really dumb. I'm sorry, it's really dumb. Men are supposed to be rulers. They're supposed to be kings. They're supposed to be prophets. They're supposed to be priests. And your wife is supposed to be under your authority as you function in those roles. Uh, you are not a servant leader. You're a king. That is your kingdom. That is your domain. She's supposed to submit to you. Um, that's the paradigm that, you know, the the the... The comparison that God gave is of Christ and his church. We don't just coexist with Christ. We submit to Christ. We fall underneath Christ's lordship 
and we call Christ Lord. Um, and if you try to play footsies and you try to try to half and half this with, uh, you know, the Jacobin or the feminist or the the Marxist view of these oppression Olympics, you're going to end up going the way that Piper has been going, going the way that uh, Grudem and the people around Grudem have been going, been going further to the left. You look at the Gospel Coalition now. You see where the Gospel Coalition is now. Uh, it's not going to stop where it is now. It's going to keep going further, and it's going to continue to play these games with the left because it doesn't have any other choice. It's accepted some of the base propositions that the left has for their entire belief system. And since that's happened, now all of the things that are in contradiction with those base propositions are going to fall by the wayside, even if Christ has said those specifically. Hey y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep, but beauteous fields lie just before me. Let me make sure you don't need a man.